1: The FT.
2: Credit card providers are to be investigated by the city regulator. Star fund managers, do they really achieve stellar results or is it all about the process? And more on crowdfunding as it becomes a regulated activity and eligible for ISAs. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with my FT colleague David Oakley. Hello. Plus, we have two special studio guests, Christian Face of LendInvest. Hello. And Hugh Stickland of Citizens Advice. Hello. First, some news hot off the press. On Thursday morning, Britain's financial regulator announced that it would start a market review of credit card providers, looking in particular at whether competition is working for consumers. Britain's credit card industry is huge – Over 30 million Britons have at least one card, and 70% of all cards in the whole of Europe are owned by Britons, who collectively spend around £150 billion a year on plastic. Everybody knows that credit cards are an expensive form of borrowing, with annual interest rates of typically 20 or 30%, but the ease of obtaining one and the ability to transfer balances from one card provider to another means that for many people, credit card debt is a way of life. It's the impacts on these so-called survival borrowers that particularly interest the Financial Conduct Authority. It says almost a fifth of the UK's adult population is now over-indebted, and over 8 million people have no savings at all. Now that might not be the industry's fault, but the regulator wants to look at whether the design or promotion of products contributes to such problems. I'm joined now by Hugh Stickland, Chief Economist at Citizens Advice. Hugh, how serious is the problem of credit card debts? Can you give us an idea of what it's like at the coalface? Well, to give you an example, last
3: year we saw over 185,000 people in our bureau about credit card debts. So it is a significant portion of the debt market. You gave some statistics in your opening remarks said Jonathan. Something like £150 billion pounds was spent on credit cards last year, um, and we have around £55 billion pounds of outstanding debt. So this is a significant issue, and we think the FCA are right to complete a study on it.
2: Isn't the size of the problem, though, partially at least a reflection of the fact that, well, times are tough, Um, wages and benefits haven't really been growing, um, but energy bills and mortgages have over the past few years? That's
3: absolutely right. People are increasingly struggling to make ends meet as you say, wages have been sluggish at best. They've not kept up with inflation over the last five years. And worse still, they've not kept up with um, energy and fuel prices that have increased by 30 or 40%. Childcare costs are increasing. And as of course, as everyone knows, mortgages and rents and housing costs are on the up as well. So this is tough times for people.
2: That said, though, are there any particular industry practices that you think are making these problems worse or that you'd like to see curtailed or stamped out altogether?
3: One of the things that we do see in our bureau when people come in with credit card debts is people having multiple credit card debts. This isn't just two or three. This can be six or seven at times. And it can't be right that people are having such easy access to credit and having such difficulty in paying that credit back. So we would encourage the FCA to look very carefully at the credit checks that credit card companies currently do to make sure that people can afford the credit card. And it's very easy these days to get a credit card. We would question that and we think the FCA should take a good hard look at that.
2: And what about um, some other organisations have commented on this issue of regressive pricing, which is whereby diligent people who pay off their credit cards in full... Uh, Every month, uh, never pay a penny in charges, and and effectively their credit is underwritten by the sorts of people we're talking about who are, in some cases, in quite severe difficulties. Well, one of the other
3: things that we'd really like the FCA to look at is this issue of minimum payments. There are significant numbers of people with credit cards who are just paying off the minimum amount each month, and as you say, that does cross subsidise to some degree the credit that other people can get. But it can't be right that they can just pay the one5 or 2% charge on that credit card and then take years, if not decades, to pay off the outstanding amount. We think the FCA should look at that.
2: Now, all this is happening, of course, in the week that the FCA formally takes over regulation of consumer credit, which includes credit cards, from the Office of Fair Trading. Do you think that it's going to represent a big change for credit card companies and indeed for payday lenders, which is another area that the FCA has already said it intends to look into?
3: Well, we're delighted that the FCA
2: is looking at
3: payday lenders and will be regulating the industry. It's something that citizens' advice has long called for. Um, so when they uh, open the rulebook um, today, then, then that is something that we want the FCA to follow through with and ensure that they um, impose proper penalties on payday lenders who aren't playing by the rules and kick them out of the market if necessary. For too many people, a payday loan is a debt sentence. It's not really a choice that they make. Practice is bad. We don't see the credit checks are necessary. We see payday lenders draining people's bank accounts when they've just been paid or they've just had their benefit um, payment come through. Um,
2: So it's something that the FCA should really look at hard. And do you anticipate that the FCA will prove a tougher regulator than the OFT was. Some people said the OFT was a bit too soft really on on large sections of this industry.
3: We certainly hope so and from what Martin Wheatley has said over the last few months on payday loans then it appears that they will
2: be somewhat tougher than the OFT and that's something that we think should happen. Thank you very much. That was Hugh Stickland, Chief Economist at Citizens Advice. Still to come on the show, is crowdfunding a viable option for your ISA? But first, let's take a look at star fund managers. Last week, Anthony Bolton retired after a long career at Fidelity, the highlight of which was his stewardship of the company's Special Situations Fund. And later this month, Neil Woodford will drive out of Invesco's Henley headquarters for the final time, having presided over spectacular returns for its income and higher income funds. But how much can a single individual really drive returns at a fund? Is outperformance more a matter of consistency, of a house approach, or even just luck? Are staff fund managers merely names that help sell products, rather like a football club's marquee signings help sell replica shirts? And even if they do achieve outperformance, how could we spot them in advance? Would you have backed Anthony Bolton in 1979, or Neil Woodford in 1988, when both were relatively unknowns and had no track record to speak of? David Oakley, the FT's investment correspondent, has been investigating. David, I mentioned two very well-known UK managers there, but you've been looking at the track records of six Galacticos of finance. Who were they?
1: Well, as you mentioned, Neil Woodford, Anthony Bolton. Of the Brits, I also added Richard Buxton and Hugh Young at Aberdeen. Then, of course, Warren Buffett is an obvious choice. Uh, And finally, after talking to people, I selected... Bill Gross, as a bond investor and someone who has certainly been the headlines of late. These six are interesting in as much as their long-term records are all strong. They've all beaten the markets over 20 years or so. But if you look over the past 10 years, Mr. Buffett and Mr. Young have only equaled the market whereas the other four have still beaten the market and i think as mr young says the only thing you can really guarantee in fund management is that you will have a bad year they've all had their rocky moments but i think in terms of performance they are worth mentioning as, as six good managers
2: now apart from the obvious abilities of these managers what other factors drive consistent performance and does luck play a
1: part as well I think luck certainly plays a part. But if you do speak to a lot of fund managers, financial advisors, and people in the business, one thing that they all say, and actually it's Terry Smith, who has launched his own fund, Fundsmith, stresses this, you should always invest in something you understand. And for that reason, all the people mentioned, all the, the equity, of the equity investors, they have all tended to shy away from buying technology stocks online stocks, or those companies with absurd valuations.
2: And what about size? I mean, Warren Buffett has said in the past that the bigger his Berkshire Hathaway vehicle gets, the more difficult it gets to outperform. Size was cited a lot in the context of the Invesco funds that Neil Woodford runs. As funds grow, does their
1: performance suffer? I think this is a very good point because size is important. And what seems to be happening, and we've seen this with Buffett, we've seen this with Woodford, we've seen this with Tom Dobell at M&G, and we've seen this with other fund managers, is that they're very successful when they've got about up to £1 under management. And of course, their success attracts more custom, their funds get bigger, and then they start to struggle to perform because you don't have the flexibility, you don't have have the ability to ratchet up a position in the same way that you do if you are smaller. If you look at Richard Buxton, I think he is a classic investor who keeps his fund to around 1 billion. He's only got about 30 stocks in his fund so that he knows all of his stocks well. And I think this is a key thing for anyone who's looking for a fund. Be wary of the giants. They don't always perform.
2: And, of course, Hugh Young has um, has got around that problem effectively by soft-closing some of those Aberdeen funds. So, actually, they can't get any bigger. Now, we know about the Woodfords and the Buffets. What about the next generation? Who Who do you think might be the star managers of the future?
1: Obviously, that's very difficult to predict. But there are some names there you constantly hear about, both from financial advisors and other fund managers. And I think one name I would certainly single out would be Nick Kirage at Sroder's. He's a value investor, and he has a very distinctive way of, of investing. And he's had very good performance of late by picking very unpopular stocks, which are very cheap, and then have turned things round and offered great value for anybody investing in the long term. Then there's Ed Leggett at Standard Life. Again, he's a name you hear mentioned. And I think his returns of Uh, around 350 percent over the past five years speak for themselves and then finally my personal favorite is Mark Martin at Neptune not that well known but he's a great lateral thinker in the small and mid-cap space and he might be one to watch.
2: Thank you very much that was David Oakley the FT's investment correspondent. You can read lots more about the star managers we've been talking about, including a dissection of their long-term performance and methodology, and more about potential up-and-coming managers in this weekend's FT Money cover feature, where a couple of the managers we talked about also dispense some fairly startling advice. We also love to know what you think. You can leave comments on articles on our website, which is ft.com forward slash money, or you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. Crowdfunding has been one of the big investment stories of the past few years. It's been promoted to small businesses as a way of bypassing the banks, who have cut back sharply on any lending that could be described as risky, and it's been promoted to investors as an alternative to bank deposits, which now pay very low rates of interest. The sector provided more than one billion pounds of finance last year, And the UK is the world's third biggest crowdfunding market. What exactly is it? Crowdfunding can mean lending to companies via an online platform, so-called peer-to-peer lending, or it can mean equity investment into a company. From this week, crowdfunding platforms will be regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the same way that other investment providers are. And peer-to-peer lending will shortly be eligible for inclusion in popular Individual Savings Accounts, or ISAs, although equity crowdfunding will not. That's all helped give the industry an added aura of respectability. But there's still an element of the counterculture about it. Participate in direct lending and investment, and you're giving those dinosaur banks a poke in the eye. I'm joined now by Christian Face, who is the founder of LendInvest, a major crowdfunding platform that specialises in property lending. Christian, you've actually been fairly critical of the new regulatory approach. Why is that? Is it too strict or is it too lenient?
4: I think we have been a little bit critical in terms of the regulation. I think it needs to be said from the outset that regulation coming into force in the UK is a really positive step for peer-to-peer coming into the mainstream of an investment asset class. And some of the sort of leading platforms in the market have been pushing for regulation for some time. So the fact that we have a regulatory regime in the UK that appreciates peer-to-peer as its own asset class is very positive. And it's actually something that sets the UK apart from many other jurisdictions. The other thing is that in terms of the way the FCA went about bringing in the regulation was very positive as well. Um, There was fairly wide consultation with all of the main players. And certainly as Lendinvest is one of the dominant players in the peer-to-peer space, we felt that we were very widely consulted as were other players. So I think all of that is very positive. The main issue that we have with potentially the peer-to-peer space, is that essentially we're talking about tech startup businesses. And often tech startups don't necessarily know how to lend money. We come from a slightly unique perspective in the sense that we were an existing lending business. The danger is that we'll have entrants in the market that will effectively take loan applications um, from borrowers, put them up on on the internet and allow investors to invest in them um, without necessarily doing the proper due diligence and checks that are required to ensure that there's a a credit quality about the, the proposition that's being sold to investors. What we sort of saw that was perhaps missing in the regulation was some sort of minimum threshold that platforms have to adhere to before they can effectively sell a loan to investors on the internet. Across the board, the regulation was pretty good. It's pretty light touch, which is probably a positive thing in the sense that the sector is just starting
2: to get going. Is there a danger as well that now the sector is regulated, that people will kind of, in their minds, equate it with bank lending and they will think that it's just like bank lending and it's just as safe, it's just like putting your money in NatWest or, or, or Barclays?
4: Absolutely, that's a real risk. I think it's it's not a risk that the FCA is not aware of, and that they were very conscious of that, and and they've gone to great detail in terms of the the regulations that they've prescribed. But there is a danger that now that it holds the authorised and regulated tag by the FCA, that investors will necessarily take some comfort from that the real risk is that the market is perhaps not educated enough in terms of Mm. what exactly they're investing in.
2: And what are the default rates? The FT's banking editor told me yesterday that uh, sort of commercial lending by UK banks to businesses, typically you'd expect a default rate somewhere between half a percent and one and a half percent of the overall value of the loan book. How does that compare to -to peer-to-peer lending?
4: Well, I can't speak for the other platforms, but I think historically the default rates have been pretty low. So they have been comparable to to bank lending. Um, I think we are fortunate in the UK in that there are a couple of dominant players that are pretty good at what they do, um, and they can sort of show historical data of lending and sort of achieving pretty good returns for investors, whilst also keeping defaults pretty low. Um, certainly, with us at Lend Invest, we have very nominal defaults. We've actually never had any defaults. We only launched in May last year, um, and we are a secured proposition, so we don't think investors are a great as that great risk of losing capital
2: sure this is quite a young industry a billion pounds of finance and lending sounds like a lot but in the overall context of the british economy it's very very small still is there an element here that this is the low-hanging fruit these are the best opportunities and the savviest investors coming together and that as the industry gets bigger there will be less discrimination and the actual chance of a default will rise as more people get involved
4: there definitely is the potential for that. That's why you know we're very excited about the industry. I think the government is obviously very much behind alternative finance, and peer to peer is a large part of that, because you know they're trying to increase competition in the sector. They can't regulate the banks to lend, but when we're talking about lending and we're talking about trying to drive volumes, there is the risk that credit quality starts to diminish so that's a risk like i say the dominant players that are in the market at the moment are pretty sensible and know what they're doing but time will tell in terms of how that evolves
2: okay thank you very much for joining us that was christian face founder of crowdfunding platform land invest we'd love to hear your views on crowdfunding have you used one of the platforms what was your experience You can reach us via Twitter, the handle is ftmoney, or you can go online to ft.com forward slash money, or you can reach us via email. The address, once again, is money at ft.com. Don't forget that FT Money is out this weekend, featuring more on the pig economies of Europe and whether they're recovering, more on the pension reforms announced in the budget, that feature on star managers that we talked about, more on crowdfunding, and we've also an interview with Andy Bell, the founder of AJ Bell. And ISO Millionaire John Lee offers his latest thoughts on small cap shares. We'll be back again next week, but for now it's goodbye from me, David, and our special studio guests Christian Fayes and Hugh Stickland.
1: For more downloads, go to FT.com forward slash
0: podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.